Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today, Pierre-Louis Asayag. He is the founder and CEO of Tracker, a new service for identifying influencers online. Uh, We are here together at the PRSA International Conference in Orlando. Pierre-Louis, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. So, uh, as if the space is not crowded enough, We've got a new service to identify influencers, and it's called Tracker, and it's different, right? It's not the same as Clout, it's not the same as Peer Index. How is it different? That's correct. So, for, for one thing, we, we have been a, around the block a few times. We started the company three years ago, We've just been under the radar for, for some time uh, as a B2B service. And it's different from the services that you mentioned in two different ways. One is that we're very focused on the search aspect for people. In other words, we're not interested in giving you a tracker score to tell you about your popularity. We're interested in finding relevant people in specific contexts and find how much they weigh influence within that context that is just defined. So, so we're a people discovery engine and we're being used by PR professionals, marketing professionals who are looking for influencers for any campaign that they run. How do you solve the problem computationally? How do you do that? It's, uh, there's no secret sauce with what we do. It's, uh, it's just a lot of hard work and a lot of data processing. So, for example, if you talk at PRSA or, or blog or do your podcast um, around this topic and I do the same thing, we're going to have all kinds of metrics that will be different. In other words, you'll get tons of likes and retweets and link backs and favorites and so on. And I might get only a fraction of this, even though we talk about the same topic. For Tracker, we're going to find your content and we're also going to find all the stats around it. And that's how we're going to weigh you as being more influential than the next guy on the PRSA conference topic, for example. So a lot of data processing, not so different from the way Google assesses web pages when you run a Google search, except that they do it for pages, we do it for individuals. So what types of signals are you evaluating to determine influence? We look at, uh, at three different uh, basic metrics. One is uh, reach, that is uh, a factor of someone's audience size. So how many followers on Twitter and uh, subscribers to your blog or uh, views on your YouTube page. And, and the metric itself changes with the platform we're looking at, with the site we're looking at. The second one is resonance. These are engagement metrics. So things like likes, comments, link backs, uh, retweets and the rest. Again, the nature of the metric changes by, by platform, but the meaning behind it is community engagement. And the third one is relevance. And relevance has everything to do with the very topic that our users define. And the three combined, reach, resonance, and relevance, constitute our score, and that's how we, we rank people and extract the top influencers on any given topic. So... 
when I think about determining influence, particularly in social, you know, the, the issue of Facebook always comes out. It's like Facebook is the big blind spot because all we can really see are public status updates. So is there a way around this? Are, first of all, are you looking at Facebook? And if so, how do you adequately appreciate somebody's influence on Facebook when that information is private? Right. So we, we don't go beyond the public timeline. So anything that is not available on the public web, we don't access. So if someone puts their Facebook profile as private, we're not going to go and look for that information. We couldn't find it to begin with. Uh, however, there are tons of uh, offsprings of Facebook um, that one can access. So you have the ability to extract your Facebook status in things like friend feed or Twitter or LinkedIn channel. So we're going to find our way into people that are open enough to give access to their content through a third-party platform and we'll get that information in. That said, if someone makes something private, we're not going to be looking for this. My argument being that they're probably not in our target anyway because influential people in, in, uh, in the spaces we're looking at are very public about their contribution and they actually want to promote themselves as being at the center of a conversation. So if they're trying to hide or being private around a conversation, they're probably not the type of people we're looking for. You know, it's interesting. I um, did an interview with Brian Solis uh, last year, I think in March, uh, just prior to South by Southwest. And uh, in the interview, I'll have a link in the show notes. He said, um, social media is not one to many. It's one to one to many. And it seems like the obvious influencers that would be correct, you know, but there may be people who don't necessarily see themselves as, as influence, but influencers, but nonetheless are. Maybe moms, who aren't mom bloggers, who aren't vocal, but whose opinions as status updates on Facebook really matter. I continue to be blown away by Facebook and what they're doing with, uh, you know, their competitive strategy against Google Plus and Timeline and... Uh, uh, the deal with Spotify to be able to discover music. I mean, it's really something what, what, they've, what they're engineering over there. How are we as marketers going to figure that out? Because right now, it's invisible. And the only way we can get that content is through Facebook Insights. And of course, we can only get it for our own pages. Right. So, so we, we're really talking about two different kinds of, uh, of influential people. You have, you have people... and. Any of us, for that matter, is an influencer in some shape or form among our own circle on different topics and at different scales. Um, so some of the folks that you're, you're talking about in the long tail of influence um, are really not the ones that we're, we're looking at. And to your point, there's no access into, into Facebook private feeds. However, I'd make the argument that a lot of the people who don't see themselves as influencers do publish their data publicly, not because they want to brag, simply because they're passionate about a topic and they want to share it. Um, case in point, a friend of mine is one of our top influencers around food allergies, extremely active on Facebook. It would not cross her mind to make her feed private because that's how she disseminates information she's passionate about around food allergies. Sure. So let's uh, talk for a minute about you know the some of the other 
services that are out there to evaluate influence. Yep. Um, you know, the most controversial of them being clout. Uh, okay. You know, I think when uh, the guy, the CEO from Cloud, spoke at South by Southwest, you know, it caused a big ruckus and everyone was screaming, oh, it's not accurate, it's not correct. But at the end of the day, neither is the Nielsen, neither are the Nielsen ratings. They're not perfect. They are what they are. And uh, some pretty big advertising decisions are made based on the Nielsen numbers, but it's paper diaries, right? Right. And so, you know, you may be able to drive a truck through it, but it's all you got. <laughs> And that, you know, is how a lot of people have regarded cloud. It's like, well, it may not be perfect, it may not always be right, but it's something. And I know that, um, you know, the capability integrated into Hootsuite to filter streams by cloud score could be really useful for a brand at an event that needs to try to figure out who of all these hundreds of people are the most influential for maybe a limited sampling opportunity or a limited trial opportunity or a limited yep. availability of something somehow you got to find the influencers you know that are around you talking about you at that at that time um, why was everyone so upset why is everyone so upset about uh, ab about about uh, cloud I mean what what's the problem with cloud well, I, I would say that um, there, there are two different things around, around the cloud that I want to emphasize. First of all, first and foremost, they're really not doing anything wrong except for, except for calling what they do influence. It is not. Their score is not a score of influence. It's a score of clout. Their name is actually great for what they do. Uh, they're looking at people's aura on the web based on a whole bunch of popularity-related metrics. For, for us, we see influence as being 100% contextual and completely driven by someone's ability to lead others to action. And the, the cloud score does not drive action. Case in point, Charlie Sheen just passed its uh, 5 million followers on Twitter, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Charlie Sheen's influence on any topic, maybe aside from recreational drugs, is actually fairly low um, for anything that I can, I can gauge. So popularity does not equate influence. And I think that clout is really looking at someone's popularity. The clout plus, the topic-based things that they, they brought on top is really a way to tag people. There's re it's not based on action, it's just based on giving props to uh, to the to the community around them, and and what we what we do and how we differentiate ourselves both from cloud and a lot of the other players, not to say all the other players, is that when we calculate influence, we calculate a score of relevance that is content based. So it's not anyone tagging someone as being an influencer in topic X, Y, or Z. We're looking at their content seeing what it is they're talking about and the way they're talking about about it, it whether or not it leads to action so it is very much at the core of how i would define influence how so, do you know that it leads to action well action as defined on social as the community engages with their content more than they do with the average person what's engagement um, someone like you writes a blog post and is going to be digged and uh, is going to is going to get a lot of comments, going to get a lot of link backs. So that's direct action on the piece of content you created in Can that space. Can you measure the number of likes and comments that uh, I get on my Facebook page? 
Is that something you can you have the technical ability to consider as part of your? It it depends on your Facebook program? settings once again. Um, but if it's but a it, page, so if it's so if it's a page, if the information is public, yeah, then we'll access that information just like we do with any other social platform we track. So and you do do that? Yeah. So so you're looking at all the activity in the stream in the activity stream on Facebook as part of my rank to the extent that is public information yes so how do you figure out how to attribute a page to an individual ah so that's uh, that that's some of the the stuff that we worked on very early on um, in order to uh, our thinking, just to back it up, uh, our thinking was always that people were important and we, we didn't care for tracking bloggers, YouTubers or Twitterers. We cared for the person behind the feed. So very early on we decided to pick blogs, I think it was Amazon reviewers and YouTube as three very different platforms with very complex ways of trying to figure out whether or not we're talking about the same person or not in order to aggregate that information and figure out who's the person behind it. So when we launched Tracker, we launched it with this, uh, with this idea that we want to find that person's full digital persona, their full profile. And we've come up with all kinds of, uh, of ways to do this. The main one being following the breadcrumb of someone's content. In other words, if on Twitter you always refer to a web page um, that you blog on, because it's hyperlink in your tweets, we're going to go and uh, screen scrape that page and see if you find, we find a reference of you on that page. And if there is a feedback into your Twitter feed, we kind of know that that's your blog. Um, and same thing on, uh, on other platforms. Services have made it very easy for us now because we have access to like the Discuss and uh, Friend Feed and LinkedIn. And a lot of these platforms are now giving you, people are giving you uh, their IDs across platforms, but we do we do this sort of a spiderweb approach to figuring out someone. We start with one, and from there we expand into uh, into finding out the others. So when you think about improving your service, or when you look at your service today, what are the biggest hurdles? What are your what what keeps you up at night? I mean, what is the hardest part of what you do? The, the hardest part for, for us is to, uh, to, to scale beyond, um, to scale the, the, the amount of data processing that we have to do. We're, we're a big data play. So there's a lot of work that goes into the technology and making sure that the billions of pieces of content, the millions of people that we have to follow, we can do this faster and better. Uh, and we keep on improving this uh, and as we scale we make our, our service more reliable so I'd say that's that's probably our biggest uh, challenge as company It's a good problem to have is scalability there's a lot of business there's a lot of, uh, of volume going on the thing that I'm really looking forward to is to go beyond beyond the search itself in, into providing insights so we just released a new section of our of our service on analytics so in order to come up with these ranks of uh, of influencers by topic we have to sim through tons of data to get there and we're starting to expose that to our users to give them intelligence on who it is that they're talking to and offer all kinds of quantifiable data points and ratios um, on this and then I'd say the next frontier for us is geo-targeting.
So going to a point where we can tell you in Little Rock, Arkansas, these are the influential people on this topic that you just defined. Let's talk for a minute about the issue of relevance. Yep. It's one thing to find somebody interested in automobiles or somebody interested in beer. It's another thing to find someone interested in plastics processing or air conditioning manufacturing. For years, the de facto tool in the PR trade was the media database. And uh, I can remember that when they first became available, it was a big deal. We were actually going to be able to search and put a list together based on fields in a database. And the most popular field was beat, editorial beat. And you would put in editorial beat and you, you could get thousands of reporters at radio and television and newspapers and magazines and weekly newspapers and <clears throat> uh, periodicals, I mean, you name it. But the problem was, often that one field, beat, editorial beat, it's tough to really describe what somebody covers or what they're interested in in that one little field. Sometimes it might be an editorial report, uh, 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 automotive reporter who went to an art show and so he used the word art in his column and uh, he may be interested in art but he's an editorial reporter and I now have a story about, I'm pitching about a new automobile that's beautiful. He may be the right person to go to but I'm never really going to be able to discover that in the old school way of search. And you find that a lot of these, a lot of services that are out there, when you really start to flex the muscles of Bolean search, they choke. They can't really handle it, you know? So how can technology and how can your service solve this problem? Well, I think you're describing very well what we do different than any other guy out there. Simply because the way we build searches is from genuine content. So the person you just mentioned, we would probably find whether or not that person is deemed an influencer in the space of automobile is a different is a different topic and would depend on, on scores of the rest of the community. However, in all likelihood we would find them. There's no pre-can, predetermined way for us to identify who's influential on what because it depends what they're talking about. I'll give you an example. We, uh, we have as a client financial institution that was running a search on finding influencers for the GE stock, stock price. And traditionally, they've been going after the analysts, makes sense, right? So, so they find the, uh, the analysts and, and Tracker did too, except that this one day, Tim O'Reilly showed up in a search. And for, we didn't understand why and neither did they. And we thought we had a bug in our system. It turns out that Tim O'Reilly decided to pick a fight because he did not like the sale of NBC by GE to Disney. If you remember, it was like a year and something ago that happened. And Tim O'Reilly is an influential guy. He showed up on our search. It would have been off the radar for our client or ourselves had we been running a search manually on this topic because he would never come to mind. But because he started content, he wrote a piece of content, a blog post, and a few tweets on this, he showed up on the radar. Huge, very important influx of information for 
for a client to be aware of that this guy is actually one of the guys driving the stock uh, of uh, of a big company like uh, like G around that period in time. So for us, relevance is very genuine. It starts with the keywords that you enter, and that's all that we need in order to uh, to get started. I did a uh, monitoring project for a client um, in the plastics processing industry and I used a proprietary platform for the monitoring, very good one, very well known, but I won't okay. mention it. <clears throat> and um, my job was to try to find influencers in the space covering their little corner of the plastics processing industry and it's a small corner yep. so I said to them give me a list of all the resin uh, manufacturers you work with the names of the resin give me a list of all the names of the machines that you uh, that you that you are use your product in give me a export all the notes from your call center so I can see what types of issues your customers are having I take that information, I do a little density analysis, and I come up with some pretty good words. Black specs, uh, carbon deposits, hot runner cleaning, whatever it may be, right? And I go ahead, and I'm, I'm pretty good with monitoring, and I, I go ahead and I start flexing the muscles of this very, very good monitoring service. There's nothing wrong with the monitoring service. And... Um, and I'm trying it this way, I'm trying it that way, I'm doing negative keywords, I'm trying everything I can, and I'm flooded in splogs. The majority of the clips I'm getting are taking me to these websites, they're blogs. They're these generic blogs that say plastics processing blog. It's a WordPress blog that you know has the generic template, hasn't even been customized. And then each post I'm finding is unintelligible. Mm. Looks like it's scraped content, which has been regurgitated and spit out in a blog post with some keywords as anchor text back to a target landing site. And I click over to the site, and it's mostly Indian and Asian companies right. that are trying to compete and trying to game Google. Yeah. So each time I find one, I go ahead and change the query to eliminate them. But each day, there's 50 new ones. Right. And I was so buried in the spog content that I could not filter. I could not separate the noise right. from the signal. And, um, you know, I started doing a little research into Google Plus and uh, found actually a talk that uh, Bryn gave, Sergey Bryn, Sergey Bryn, at a conference where he said the system of backlinks is so broken, it's beyond repair. And I started thinking to myself, my God, if they can't re-engineer PageRank to start considering social signals, what does that mean for the future of search if the system of backlinks is beyond repair? Right. So... First off, just to, just to break this down, how do you make sure that the splog content isn't gaming your influence ranking? Yeah, it's, uh, so you're absolutely right on. And what you're talking about here is the biggest challenge of search today. 
So that's a huge issue that Google is uh, has front and center. Um, so no no question, the the whole the whole gaming of uh, of Google. We actually wrote a post on this a few months ago on how PageRank is broken and how we can help. Um, and for us, the way we manage to get rid of this um, of this blog of the SEO play is very simple. It's that because we aggregate someone's profile across multiple platforms, for these sites to be found by Tracker and be recognized as potentially influential, they can't be just an unauthored one feed. They would have to be a real profile. So someone would have to go through the hassle of getting their LinkedIn profile and the Twitter profile and, and so on and so forth and have followers on it, by the way. And so at some point, it's, uh, it becomes very visible to us that something does not qualify. So we have a process to weed out a lot of the noise that you see on the web at the very inception of what we do. Because when we find a piece of content and we can associate it to another, we can associate it to a real person, it raises a flag for our application and it just we spit it out and you never see it in Tracker. So that's interesting. Um, I want to say, gosh, I don't remember how many months ago, maybe even six months ago, um, there was a news break. It was actually discussed on an episode of Four Media Release. I'll, I'll try to get a link in the show notes. Uh, but there was a news break about a company that had created a platform for the U.S. Department of Defense um, to allow them to manage multiple profiles in social media to try to basically conduct information operations to mislead the enemy in theaters of combat. And so one person could come in, have access to a couple hundred Facebook accounts, a couple hundred Twitter accounts, create all the different profiles, manage the relationships between them, and actually game the system that way. Um, now we know for DIG, you know, they were always looking for groups of people digging something, and then they would disqualify those users if they saw people group digging but when we get to this scale I mean it just seems like so overwhelming right. to be able to figure out computationally and disqualify that type of activity are you is this something you've run up against not really because for and, and I think you know in many ways we're not a visible enough player yet for um, for us to be to be for our system to be gained at the level that you're describing. Um, so possibly we will at some point, but what I would say is that we've, we have, one of our customers is, uh, is Katie Payne, um, and I was talking to her yesterday, and she was explaining to me that her whole agency for a full day tried to game our system and was not successful. And she liked that. She liked the fact that they didn't manage to figure out a way to game our system. The reason is we're looking for the real signal. So if, we, if you don't give us a signal that you're actually a real person who has real influence around these things, it's just it, it's not going to qualify for, for what we're looking for. And then at some point, if you, if you are doing the work that gets you all of the link backs and retweets and likes and you have all of the right metrics that show up, you're not gaming anymore. You're actually a real person doing real work. So, so for us, I'm not saying that gaming tracker is impossible, but I'll say that it's very costly and it's complicated. And that's the way we've always handled security in general, right? Is not to make it impossible to breach, is to make it too expensive to be worthwhile. 
I moderated a panel at the Marketer Marketing Research Association annual conference last year, and I recorded it. I'll have a link in the show notes. And I had on the panel uh, an engineer from SAS. I had someone from Nielsen. I had someone from... Uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Rob Key from Conversion. And uh, we had one other person. I apologize to you for forgetting okay. you, but, but uh, they're all, they'll all be on the link. And, I mean, these are guys who build the platforms on monitoring. And uh, the question on the panel was um, sentiment analysis. You know, they all have it. They all have some feature in their platform which allows you to score for sentiment all this information. And, of course, if you've got a crisis breaks out in real time, your only chance to be able to figure out what's going on is with a tool like sentiment analysis. <clears throat> and the best I could get them to agree to, all four of them together was 60% accuracy for sentiment right. analysis. And I remember thinking, or someone maybe said, if you would have told me before I bought my plane ticket to come to this conference that there was a 60% chance I'd make it, <laughs> I wouldn't have bought the ticket. Now, 60% accuracy may be fine when I'm figuring out a media spend, right? but in a crisis or in identifying influencers, it's kind of useless. Yeah. Um, we're still in a position where the Google products, and I mean, we consider them as the granddaddy with all the money and the engineering talent, and all their products, when you sign up, have CAPTCHA codes, which means they can't figure out how to tell meat from metal at this point. So given that artificial intelligence is still so far off, do you think it's realistic that you're going to be able to solve your problem 100% computationally by looking at the arithmetic around the social graph? Or do you ultimately, do you need some sort of sentiment analysis to be able to do what you do? So it's, it's really interesting because we, we very often, uh, especially with, uh, with government agencies, uh, go to pitch to them alongside sentiment analysis companies. And the, the reason is that ultimately, they're looking for the same thing, which is, so the, the, the buzzword now is entity disambiguation. So it's filtering the noise from the signal. The sentiment tools are doing it in a statistical way. They're saying, of all these tweets and these blog articles, 20% are positive, 40% are negative, and the other, the other 40 I have no clue. Uh, so that's your, to your point about accuracy. And what we're saying is, instead of starting with the piece of content, let's start with the people. Let's find the 100, 1,000 people that really matter in that space that are being active and there's no noise. The other people who are, who are getting the right set of metrics in that space. And then you get to a manageable set of content that you have to sim through. So we're not talking about millions of, uh, of posts that you have to go through, but maybe, you know, depending on the topic, if it's, uh, if it's plastic molding, it's probably between dozens and hundreds. Uh, if it's a very popular topic, it's hundreds to thousands. But the idea of having to having a person, not an algorithm, but a person go through pieces of content in a very reliable way, but reduce the size of that content at the beginning, is really the approach that we've taken. So 
we don't know how to do sentiment, nor does anyone else. And frankly, I don't think that's a problem that's ever going to be solved for what we do, simply because the numbers are not there for the statistical model to work. It's too small. The interval of confidence is just way too small. And we've tried product to partner with, and none have worked for, for us. I don't think it's a question of maturity. I think it's a question of a problem that can be solved a very broad brush, to your point about media buy. That works fine. But when it comes to the finite details of someone in customer service trying to figure out whether or not uh, that smiley face is, uh, is a positive or sarcastic, it can be solved. Um, and I don't believe that we'll, we're anywhere close to, to doing this. So for us, our approach has been, instead of trying to crack that nut, let's get people, let's reduce the amount of content of people to only share with them the piece that, the piece that coming from the people who are the most meaningful, the most impactful in that segment. And all of a sudden, you've reduced the size of what they were facing by a hundred folds, a thousand folds. And that's really the approach we've been taking. I remembered uh, the fourth person on the panel. Uh, it was a company called Recorded Future. And I found out about them. There was an article in Wired Magazine that this company that does analytics had gotten investment from CIA and Google. And I said, oh, i got to get these guys on the panel. <clears throat> and I checked out the product. And what was really interesting to me about the product, I'd never seen anything like it. I still haven't is they organized the intelligence against a timeline to try to... And then they, what they would do is they would overlay things like stock price against that timeline to try to give you some visibility over whether or not incidents occurring in social media had an impact, have an impact on stock price. What do you think about that idea, that model of sort of you know, integrating temporal structure over the data? Yeah, so it's something that we take into account ourselves. When we, when we look at someone's uh, impact or performance in a specific search, we, we don't count recent um, contribution as much as we count older contribution. In other words, when we... Why? Because people change, especially around, around events, people change topics. They, uh, they do different things at different times. And so, so for us, looking at someone who's on an, an uptrend, um, Brian Sellers, who we were talking about earlier, is a very good example. Extremely influential, one, one of the first people to coin the PR 2.0 uh, terminology as a future of PR, decided to kind of move away from that into, um, into new topics for him, more around innovation and so on. Um, and... And if you were to try, if you were a marketing professional trying to reach out to Brian Solis to talk about PR, you would be hard pressed today to get him to cover you, simply because it's not the topic of the day for him anymore. He's moved away from this. So for us, when we see that, we look at a person and we see that six months or a year ago they were very active in that space and now they're not anymore, it gives us a sense of trending that in no likelihood that person is not as interested as they used to be. And inversely, someone who's getting new into the space, uh, but is uh, uptrending, Tim O'Reilly and G, you need to pay attention to because tomorrow's score is probably going to be higher than today's. I mean, I like this idea that, you know, you're not going to necessarily look at the, op you're not going to look at content, you're going to look at people. 
And I could see, you know, how you could discover somebody like Tim O'Reilly with that scenario because he's going to be someone who's not going to sneak under the radar. But often, you know, what we see in social is that it's someone who comes out from nowhere uh, with some sort of a uh, experience that happened uh, on the telephone with a customer service rep that they recorded and they post online. Um, and it leads to some sort of a crisis. I guess what I'm finding out here is that, you know, when it comes to sort of crisis management, Tracker's not that type of a tool. Tracker is a tool for finding the influencers that exist already inside a category. Am I correct? Yes and no. Uh, the, um, the ones that we, we won't be able to find, and almost by design of our, of our product, are, are people that I would call the one-hit wonders, right? So. Came out of a club, same time as Paris Hilton, shot a video, gonna get a million views on it. What we're interested in is to figure out the predictability of someone's influence. That person's one video shot is not telling me anything about their ability to replicate the same, same kind of an impact. However, uh, around, if you look at Motrin, like the Motrin mom, if you remember last year, uh, big Johnson & Johnson f uh, PR fiasco, um, you can use products... And by the way, one of the few people who doesn't think it was a fiasco. No? Okay. No. I don't. I mean, I think uh, basically, uh, you know, there was a, some, some noise on the, on the bad side. But if you look at, I think there was a study done on sales. It had no negative impact on sales at all. And it really seemed like it was more just people inside the PR community making a fuss okay. than it was actually impacting sales in a negative way. All right. So, so now let's... let's and I feel the same way about ConAgra's... Uh, deal with the bloggers and okay. the, uh, you know. Fair enough. So let's pick one that we're not, we're not going to argue. But I'm the minority. Yeah. That, that's Everybody right. disagrees <laughs> with me. I'm sure I'm going to get hate email from this. <laughs> so, let, so let's pick one that we're on the same side with, BP. Okay. okay. All right? Yeah. Hard to argue with. Right. Okay. So, so if you take a, a, a crisis like the one that BP had to deal with, what, where Tracker helps is actually to be able to surface very quickly within this mass of negative press that they're getting, we, which ones of the people who are talking actually the ones that are the most likely to get you over the tipping point? And from a PR crisis standpoint, you want to talk to these guys. You want to find them before they hit the tipping point. You want to get them on your side, walk them through what your plan is. So that's really the approach that you'd be using Tracker for. So final question now. Give us something juicy here, okay? Because they've been listening for over a half an hour. To uh, us so talk. for anyone who's not asleep yet. So what? What these guys are? These guys are listening. They're <laughs> hanging on every word you're saying here in the week. All right. And what they want to know, and what I want to know too, is how do I increase my tracker influence? <laughs> what do I do? Give us something. Give us a little tip. Yeah. So the tip I'll give you is just be yourself. You can't, you can't really try, we, we don't have tracker perks, so you have nothing to, uh, to go after really. You really have to be yourself. If you're passionate about top, the topic, just keep doing what you're doing. And as you're being genuine with your audience, cater to your audience, understand that it's really a privilege to have them listen to you, listen to your show on a regular basis. And these are the guys who are gonna give you the scores in tracker you need to show up in our searches. So the more you pay attention to your audience, the better your tracker score. Are you looking at uh, data transfer via RSS? 
Data transfer via RSS. Tell me again. So R. So the way people get this show, for the most part, right, is they take it over the RSS feed. Mm -hmm. So you know you can look at the data transfer okay. and see. And I, I can when I look at the stats, I look not just at the number of downloads, but I look at the data transfer. Okay. Um, so you know, I mean, that's probably not something you're looking at. And for that reason, a lot of podcasters don't get really accurately appraised yeah. because people are just looking at how many people hit the page, whether or not they left a comment or something. The truth is most people don't comment on podcasts. They download them. The majority downloads them through iTunes yeah. and listens to them on the go. They take the data and they go. So if they take in the data, that should give you the credit. But you wouldn't see that if you're just looking at HTML. You have to look at XML right. and data transfer, yeah. like feed burner. Yeah. So we, we don't. Uh, we don't look at this. However, I would suspect that a lot of the success you're getting with your show is also re being reflected on Twitter, on Dig, on Reddit, uh, through different means where people link to your show and get to talk about it. So we always have a way to Did loop back that, into guys? this. Did you there you go. That? Twitter. Reddit. <laughs> Dig. What, what was the other one there? Dig. Twitter. If you're listening there and you, you enjoy the show, you know what to do. Okay, go on. <laughs> And so, so through these means, we would actually find you and have the ability to, to approximate the success that you're having. But granted, there, there's stuff that, um, that is hard for anyone to track, and we just keep on adding more data types and data feeds on a daily basis. Pierre-Louis Asayag, the founder and uh, CEO of Tracker, uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, great talking to you, Eric. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.